Hilchas Edus laws of testifying, laws of testimony. Mm-hmm. All right. It involves eight mitzvahs. Shalosh mitzvahs are three positive mitzvahs. V'chavosh mitzvahs say five negative mitzvahs. If there are pratan, here is their breakdown. Aleph number one. Lahoid lebezdin lemishayish leedus. There is a mitzvah if somebody knows testimony in order to, to testify. It's actually a mitzvah to go to the court. Right to go to the court and testify. Testifying outside of court wouldn't be useful, right? So yeah. it's dafka the mitzvah to testify in court. Correct. <clears throat> to cross-examine the witnesses, right? That's a mitzvah on the court to do so. Not to just hear the, not to just say, listen and say, okay, they have to verify the the, the, the testimony. There's a mitzvah that the person who tested, who testified, excuse me, who witnessed a. Or who testified, rather. Here it says testified, actually, but we'll see. It. it could be even if he didn't testify, he just he saw the episode. He should not be a judge when it comes to capital cases. Now, the testimony in terms of, of a witness. If a person saw the episode of someone doing something which is liable to capital punishment, like he saw him violate the Shabbos, he saw him murder somebody, he should not be on the, be- ju- on the court case, which, the, the, the court, which judges that person for that punishment. You need two witnesses. One second. I saw Ruvain light a cigarette on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. I cannot be on the court which judges him as to, see, to determine whether he's liable for violating the Shabbos. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's what it means. That you should not uh, use one witness to, uh, as a verification. It has to be two witnesses. Hey, number, the number five. That a person who is somebody who is a sinner is, is, is disqualified to testify. We'll define that, that exactly means. A relative cannot testify. Not to testify falsely. If a, a witness is refuted and proved to be a liar, as we'll describe... Edzomayin uh, is a liar? Correct. So he, uh, the, 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 there's a mitzvah to do to him as he sought to do to his fellow when that's possible. And we'll describe that in detail in the proper program. Peter Mitzvah and will explain these mitzvahs in the following chapters. Okay. And again, the third mitzvah about the witness not being a judge, we'll just see how that applies to capital cases, how it applies to monetary cases. It's not identical. All right. A witness is, is obligated, is commanded to testify in court any testimony which he knows that's relevant, right? Whether it's testimony that's going to convict his fellow... Or it's witness testimony which is going to exonerate his fellow. Either way, he's chayiv in order to testify. This is assuming that when it comes to monetary cases, the person asked him to come testify. He said, you know testimony on my behalf that will help me. Or you know testimony that will, that will that is relevant to the case. You know testimony that will, that will convict my fellow, etc. He has an obligation to do so. Shinemar says, if he was a witness, he saw, he knows. If he does not relate the matter, and he will bear his sin, he'll bear his transgression. So he has an obligation in order to, to, to testify when it's relevant. Now the truth is, is that this is a monetary situation where he's only obligated if one of the litigants asks him to do so. If it's not a monetary matter, if it's somebody's being judged because he ate on Yom Kippur and someone saw what happened, that he ate this much or where he was there, he has an obligation to testify whether he's asked by the litigant or not. It's only when it comes to monetary case the litigant has to know. Now, if my ox gores your ox, <coughs> and... My o- ox gores what? Gores your oh, ox. Gore. 
and uh, wounds it, kills it, damages it, and or my ox eats your tomatoes, and somebody saw it, and I don't know that he saw it, but he knows he saw it. Does he? Does is is he? Can he say nobody's requiring me to testify? No one's asking me to testify. No one knows I know. Does he still have an obligation to to testify? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. All right. Base. What if the witness was a very great Torah scholar? And the court where the case is being judged is inferior to him. It's not in accordance with his honor to go testify in front of these inferior scholars. Also, shall we can take into greater consideration the honor of the Torah? He has the right to not testify uh, in front of these people. But Medvah, when it is true that he has the right to say, I'm not going to testify, even though he's being requested of in this court. But at this moment, if it's a monetary matter, if it's a testimony where the question is, will a transgression happen or not? So for example, somebody is, a woman wants to remarry because two witnesses, a witness came to Bezin and said, we saw her husband fall into a pit of snakes and scorpions. And so therefore the assumption is, we can assume he died from that, from, like the Gemara says in Brachas, and, or, or other places, and therefore she wants to go get remarried. And the court says, based on the testimony, we're going to allow her to get remarried. Now this guy knows the husband miraculously escaped somehow that the corporate mistakes didn't bite him, or they did, and he figured out a way to survive. He can't just say that I'm not going to go. He has an obligation to go because it's not a monetary case. He, he lied. No, nobody lied. The witnesses just said we saw him fall into a pit of sticks and scorpions, and we left. On that assumption, the court wants to get, let her get remarried. This guy who knows the guy miraculously survived and therefore uh, knows testimony that will make her not permitted to get remarried must come and testify as such even though he's a great Torah scholar and the court is comprised of simple people. Amen. Similarly, when it comes to testimony that's related to capital cases or lashes. He must go testify. If he knows this guy is, he violated the Shabbos or he did that sin or he did not do whatever it is, Nothing to do with his honor. He must testify. It says, Wisdom and understanding is not consideration of importance when it comes to Hashem's honor. Any situation where there's a question of desecration of Hashem's name and every sin is a situation of desecration of Hashem's name. You don't involve, you don't uh, give honor to a, to, to a teacher, to a Torah scholar. Therefore, he must testify no matter what, regardless of his stature as compared to the best. Gimel, the high priest, right? Important person. He's not just a Torah scholar, he's the high priest. Now, he may not be a Torah scholar, actually, but in any event, still considered an important status. He has no obligation to testify when it comes to monetary cases. Um, it's only if the witness, the testimony is relevant to the Jewish king, right? The Jewish king and, and somebody else, the business deal, and the business deal went sour, and they have a court case. He must testify in the great Sanhedrin because since the king is involved, the only court before which the king would stand would be the great Sanhedrin. And therefore, the Kayin Gadol goes and testifies on his behalf because the only person higher than Kayin Gadol is the king. If it's another kind of testimony of somebody else, no matter if it's millions of dollars, he's putter. Now, what if it's a matter of the high, the high priest knows in that example that the guy is still alive and the woman should not get remarried? Now, it's not clear as to what he would say in that scenario. All right, Dalit. It's a positive mitzvah for the court to cross-examine the witnesses and to ask them a lot of questions. 
We're very exacting with them. And then we talk, we ask them questions from top of the topic. During the interrogation, so that they should end up being confounded. Or retract their testimony. If the testimony has something funny about it, right? So the idea is, is that if it's not something, if it's something they, that they made up, then they'll eventually be caught in a lie, right? But Shnemer, it says, you should thoroughly examine, you should thoroughly ask. The witnesses have, should, be, should be very careful to, at the time of the test, when they cross-examine the witnesses. It's possible that through their questions, the witnesses will learn a way to lie. All right, you got to be careful about that, right? <clears throat> the seven basic questions you have to ask them. Which, which set of seven years, right? Every seven years is a Shemitah and everyone has a, has a, a number. So you ask them, the, thing, the episode that you're describing happened, which number of the Shemitah cycle is it, right? Which year is it? And, and the year I don't think this case would mean, you know, 5,783. They would mean like, you know, either one through seven of the Shemitah cycle. Which month? Which day of the month? Which day of the week? Which hour of the day? Which location? Those are the seven crucial questions. Even they say it happened today, yesterday, so we know exactly the day of the week and the day of the month and all those questions because it was yesterday. We still ask them, which set of seven years, which year, which month, which day of the month, which day of the week, which hour. And the reason why we do that is because we want them to have to, 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 to think about the exactitude of what they're saying and the possibility of being caught in a lie. Now, besides for these seven questions, every scenario you, have, you ask the witnesses, you also ask them. For example, if they testify he worshipped our idols, we ask them, which idol did he worship? How did he worship it? There's different ways of worshipping idols. Bowing to it, sacrificing to it. That's every idol. And some idols are, un- are worshipped in a unique fashion. Some, some you, still th- you throw stones at them. Although idols, you defecate in front of them. There's all types of different, different types of worship. He do shil chilas Shabbos. If he testify that he violated the Shabbos, and we ask them be'ezem alachasa, how did he violate the Shabbos? It's thirty nine alachas. Be'echasa. What did he do? Right. So they'll say he violated it by carrying. Well, how did he carry? There's different ways of violating by carrying. You can walk four cubits. You can throw it. Right. He do If he testify yom kippur, shalos we ask them be'ezem achocha. What did he eat? Right? Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, if this witness says he ate apples, the other one says he ate bread, that's going to be a contradiction. But also, maybe he ate something that you're not liable for Yom Kippur for eating. Right? It could be both. Right. But let's say, let, let's say, let's say they're going to say, we saw him eat Yom Kippur. Well, what did he eat? Well, we saw him eat, he drank, he drank a whole bottle of mouthwash. Lavda, he's chayev for that, right? That's not a food. But how much did he eat? Right? You're not chayev unless you eat a certain amount. They testified that he killed somebody, and we asked him, what weapon did he use? Right? Like, like game Clue, you know the game Clue? Mm-hmm. Mr. Colonel Mustard in the dining room with the, with the lead pipe, yeah? These are all part of Hakiris cross examinations. Hey! The cross examinations, Chaker means to. What is the Derishos? Again, the word Chaker means to. To uh, investigate and and darash means to inquire, okay. cross examinations. Okay. These are the, the, the primary parts of the testimony. 
what, uh, that the witnesses respond to, the behenis based on that, the witness, the, the, the witness will be, the, 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 the um, defendant will be either convicted or exonerated. This is the clarifying he acted with intent, meaning that he was warned and he responded. Uh, sorry, no, sorry. Also, in this case, means not intent. It means the the uh, equating that the two witnesses give the same story that whatever happened happened. They both say the same time, the same location. It's these things that that that, that can determine whether the witnesses will be able to be refuted. Why is it important that they, they can be refuted? We cannot refute the witnesses unless they tell us the exact time and place that it happened. If two witnesses say, we don't remember where it was or when it was, but we both saw it happen, that's not good enough. Because we need, one of the principles of testimony is that it, in order for a testimony to be legitimate, it has to be possible for two other witnesses to come along and say that you guys are lying. In order for them to do that, they have to say that, the, that, that it can't be that what you say transpired at that place in time because you were elsewhere with us. Now, in order for that to be possible, the first two witnesses have to give an exact time and location to what they're saying. And therefore, the, those are the primary parts of the, of the testimony. What is Hazama? What I just described, the, refu- the witnesses being proven to be liars. Vav. We also... Excessively cross-examine the witnesses by things that are not fundamental to the testimony. And it wouldn't make a difference whether or not it happened this way or that way for the person to be chayiv. They are called badikas, examinations. Whoever increases in these and, gives, and does it excessively is praiseworthy. What are, what are badikas? The testify that he killed somebody and then we cross-examine them with the seven crucial questions we said earlier. Which is the making sure that the witnesses are saying the same time and same place. And they also say the same act. They say the same deed, the same uh, tool, the same weapon he used, and the same time and location. And we ask them other questions. The person, the murderer, the victim, what kind of clothing were they wearing? Now, let me ask you a silly, silly question. Was it white clothing or dark clothing? Does it make a difference whether the murder victim was wearing dark clothing or white clothing? It wouldn't make a difference as to whether or not he's obligated or not obligated. But this is simply a way to catch the witnesses on a lie. So the, unlike the which are fundamental questions that, that, that will determine if the, the, the defendant is guilty or innocent, these questions are simply there to catch witnesses on a lie. They won't make a difference. Whether it happened this way, it's not relevant to halacha whether the murder victim was wearing white clothing or dark clothing, but it is relevant to know if the witnesses are making up the story. That's the decode. Right. What does it mean, the decode exactly? Inspections. Inspections. Like bedigas chametz, right? Oh. The ground upon which he was murdered, was it white soil or dark soil or red soil? Because these are bedikas. As an example, there was a story that the witnesses testified and said, This guy was murdered in that location under a fig tree. They, they asked the witnesses, and they inspected and said, Were the figs in that tree under which he was murdered, dark figs or white figs? Were the stems of those figs long or short? Whoever is, uh, 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 increases the amount of vidika is, is praiseworthy because it will guarantee the witnesses are not lying. Now that's going to be, that, that's when regular testimony of a capital case or case of, um, case of uh, Malchus. But we'll learn when it comes to 
monetary cases, we dafka don't do it at ex- that excessively as long as, as long as we have the basic testimony. We don't want to ca- have the witnesses trip up and then people are not going to be able to get paid back for money they lent and they're going to refrain from, from lending money. So as long as the witnesses have a basic story that lines up, we don't cross-examine them and say when they signed the contract, was the pen a blue ink or black ink? We don't do that. Right? Because that's, that's counterproductive to the necessity of having a, a uh, uh, economy.